This is recording number 10804 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the fifth message in the outpouring series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, February 22, 2009. This message is titled Divine Healing. So we're going to continue our our study called The Outpouring. We're going uh, not verse by verse, but uh, pretty close uh, through the book of Acts. That's why we were using the icon that we are here of the raindrops, because Acts chapter 1, verse 8, again, that gives us the outline for the entire book, says, Jesus is saying, you'll receive power after that the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you'll be witnesses to me. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, chapter 3 follows um, what we studied last week, as you, as you might expect, <clears throat> about the, ver- the birth of the church, the first church. And the last part of chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, we spent a lot of time last week looking at and, and uh, identifying the components, the characteristics, the personality of that church at its, at its birth. The church of Jesus Christ uh, in its raw state. And we saw there something precious and powerful and something our hearts long to be part of. And at the close of the service last week when I asked how many of you are in, there was a unanimous uh, agreement that we wanted to be part of seeing something like that happen today and here. And I'm with you in that. And as we move on now uh, to um, watch how this first church conducted their life together and their ministry as it spread. Let's um, make room in our hearts again for God to draw us into fresh relationship with him and fresh desire to serve him. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And we read last week, you'll remember, that the disciples, they met every day in the temple. These are people who could not get enough of God. And they could not get enough of fellowship with each other. And so uh, Peter and John are on their way to the temple uh, at the hour of prayer, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which uh, was the ninth hour uh, by their their clock. Their clock went from sunup to sundown. And so, uh, uh, anyway, there you go. (laughs) And a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. And this man was brought there, as we're told, every day. He's been, he was, he's been lame or unable to walk since his birth. We're going to find out later that he was over 40 years old at this point. And he is carried to this spot every day to beg from those who, pilgrims and everyone else who was coming to the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked them for alms. Excuse me, verse 4. And fixing his eyes on him, Peter, fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. So the the layman is thinking, ah, I got a a live one here. They're going to give me something. Um, 
then verse 6, Peter said to the man, he says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I think you might as well. Had you been uh, born without the use of your uh, limbs... And you have lived now 40 years in that condition. And in a moment's time, all of that history is erased. And you're able to walk. Yeah, you might do a little, you know, dance a little jig. Um, Verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, he doesn't doesn't want to let go of these guys, Uh, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? And he begins another sermon. This is Peter's second sermon. Now, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, as he's completing this message... About the, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, you know, he has, he's gone on to say, look, we didn't have anything to do with healing this man. But the Son of God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, loves people so much that not only is he, has he paid the penalty for their sins, but he's made the power uh, that you see uh, demonstrated before you today also available. Just of his sermon. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, these are all religious leaders, uh, Jewish religious leaders, they came upon them. Because they're disturbing the peace, right? They've made this big scene here at the temple. Uh, The religious leaders are not happy about that. Being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in, uh, in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them, and not to pray for them, but to haul them off to, to uh, uh, jail. So they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So remember, after Peter's first sermon, 3,000 people came to know Jesus. And it says that uh, daily God was adding to their number. And now on this occasion, as Peter preaches his second sermon, we're up to at least 5,000. And we're not sure if they're saying, if it's not clear. They may be saying that another 5,000 were added to that number. Either way, it's, it's a lot of people. And this is uh, just the count of the men alone. So God is clearly up to something. And people are just captivated by the, the sense that there is a real God. Not just some sort of, um, you know, mystical, philosophical something that I can get involved with. But this is really happening. This God who really cares about me is really active in the world. And that just uh, overwhelms people to the point where they say, I got to have that. I got to know that. I have a feeling that we live in a time very similar to that. 
when people long for a real relationship with a real God. Because there is a place in all of our hearts, a void or vacuum that only God can fill. Sin separated us from our relationship with God. And ever since, we have been looking for that that fits that gaping hole in our lives. And we will try to stuff every other kind of thing in there. But nothing works. Because we were made for relationship with the Almighty. We long for that. And not, again, not just some sort of religious, philosophical, mumbo-jumbo, head game kind of thing. Real relationship with a real God who really cares and can really do stuff. That's what we long for. So thousands of people are responding to this gospel. Verse 5 of chapter 4, And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes... Remember, they've put them away in in jail overnight because... uh, Uh, it, It was late in the day when they captured them. So the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Can you imagine? These are, these are the religious leaders. A lame man has been healed. And they're ticked off about it. How can that be? Religion can become so perverted. I want no part of it. But there's a little bitty Pharisee hiding in every one of us. You know that? It's our job to starve that sucker. Anyway, they're ticked off about this. And they demand to know, how have you done this? Well, Peter gets up and he preaches another sermon to these guys. And he says, look, verse 11, this is the stone which was, was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And we, if we went on and read, we would see that these, these religious leaders, they're stumped. They don't know what to do. They know they got to do something because their whole gig is up. Right? But here stands a guy who has been lame for 40 years. What are they going to say? They don't know what to do. So they finally just wag their fingers in Peter's and John's faces and they say, Don't you do this anymore. And they send them off, you know. And, and <laughs> um, verse, 23, verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So they go and they gather, you know, their, their, their fellow believers and they give them the report of what happened. And so when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats. 
please protect us. Is that what that says there? For those of you who don't have a Bible in front of you, I'll just answer the question. No, that's not what it says there. They pray. They say, now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Peter had said to the religious leaders when they were scolding them and telling them, you know, don't do this anymore. Peter said, like, who should we who should we obey here? You guys or God? Kind of a no brainer answer to that question, right? So they're praying and they said, Lord, look on their threats. Grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal. Notice that when they pray, they make the absolute connection between the preaching of the gospel and the healing hand of God. Lord, help us in the face of their threats to preach your word with boldness by stretching forth your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, I realize that there are a lot of people, a lot of Christians who have developed systems of theology. And I'm, again, I'm not pointing fingers because I know I was one of them. I know how this works. But there are a lot of Christians who have kind of uh, decided that all this stuff about healing, signs and wonders, miracles... Uh, you know, that's just a little too messy for us. It's not quite orderly enough for us. And so, you know, we've got to figure out a way to opt out of that. So they've, we, you know, big, large sections of the Church of Jesus Christ have de- developed a theology that puts all of the miraculous kinds of ministry that we read about in the early, or in, about the early church in the book of Acts under a different category, that was before we had the scriptures. They've relegated that to a period of time before we had the Bible. Once we have the Bible, now we don't need that stuff. But you know what? I don't know about you. But I still see people sick around me that could use the healing power of God. I still encounter people who have entrenched difficulties that could use a miracle or two. And I still believe that there's a God in heaven who wants to answer those needs of human beings with real intervention, real power. Not just to make a scene, not just to draw attention to himself, but because he loves people. And I, I, I am just committed to making myself available. I'm not perfect in this by any means. And listen, it challenges my faith as much as it does yours. But I want, I want this. I want this. I want God to be able to use me as a, a delivery person for these gifts of his grace that he wants to dispense to people in need. And they're praying this prayer. Lord, help us in the face of every opposition to continue to preach your word by stretching forth your hand to heal, not shrinking back from that. It challenges our faith and we, we encounter opposition, but we're going to preach the gospel by extending your hand to heal and inviting you to do signs and wonders. Listen to verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. An earthquake. Can you? <laughs> that would get your attention, wouldn't it? Whoa, I must have said something right. Yeah. That's what happened. 
there was an affirmation by God that they were praying something right. Yeah. I was a part of a funeral one time where I, I uh, Dr. Jack Aford, the president of the of the uh, Foursquare Gospel Church, his father was in a, a Bible study group that I, I was leading when I was just a, a very young man. And when he died, his wife asked me to be a pallbearer at, her, at his funeral. So I was there. Uh, he was a, a very simple but very great man. And his children all, all had, have continued to have profound ministry. And um, just a, a powerhouse for God in a very quiet way. And when his children were, com- had completed their eulogizing of their father, Dr. Hayford was the last one to speak of the children. And when he finished eulogizing his dad, there was an earthquake. We were sitting there just, holy moly. <laughs> you know. So I know what this is like. And the affirmation of God upon this prayer is, is to me, clearly visible. I want to talk to you today about divine healing. I want to give you a brief theology. First, healing is needed. I think that's pretty obvious. There are people who are in need of healing sitting right here today. Healing is available in Christ. And healing has been provided for the whole person. Spirit, soul, and body. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, tell us this. Healing is needed. Healing is available in Christ. And healing has been provided for the whole person, spirit, soul, and body. Healing, divine healing, is one of the gifts of the spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11, identify nine gifts of the Spirit, which is a subset of all of the spiritual gifts. You've heard me talk about that before. The gifts of the Spirit are those uh, that are made available to us as we uh, allow the Holy Spirit to fill us um, for the purpose of fulfilling our assignment uh, in ministry, our assignments in ministry. I call them power tools. Now, one thing that I I need to clarify is that they are not residing abilities. There are some spiritual gifts that reside with us. I am uh, a a pastor. Uh, I I, I am a teacher. Those are spiritual gifts that reside with me. But this, the gifts of the Spirit are not like, you know, the, the Holy Spirit goes around and says, uh, let's see, I'll give you divine healing. Uh, you, I'll give the gift of prophecy. Uh, you, I'll give the word of wisdom. It's not like that. It's like a toolkit. How many of you, get, of you have a toolbox at home? If you have a toolbox at home, then you probably have more than just a hammer or a screwdriver in there. You probably have a bunch of tools in there, right? Because there's a lot of different jobs that require different kinds of tools. The gifts of the Spirit are like that. It's like a divine toolbox, a Holy Spirit-enabled toolbox that we can march into any situation. Got a broken heart? Got a broken body? Got a broken circumstance? The Holy Spirit has made available to us gifts to meet those challenges. They are gifts of grace for us to dispense. They don't belong to us. If you're sick and I pray for you and you get healed, 
You're the one who receives the gift of healing, not me. Not me. Now, that's contrary to the way most people think about divine healing. And I don't mean, again, I'm not, I, I'm not trying to, to um, you know, you know, point any fingers at anybody or dismantle anybody's belief system here. But we all have encountered the model of the healing evangelist or the person who, ha- you know, we will say that guy has the gift of healing. And we'll go, you know, the, the, we'll go to their meetings so that we can get touched by this gift that resides in that person. But I don't believe that it really works that way. I believe that these spiritual gifts, or gifts of the spirit, I should say, that we are more like uh, the UPS guy. We deliver the package. But the gift belongs to the receiver. If you receive a word of knowledge through me, you're the one who got the gift, not me. Does that make sense? Okay. I want to talk a little bit of about... Uh, some questions that people have and, hop, and uh, hopefully an- provide some answers about healing. I don't have all the answers, but I do have some. And there are a lot of questions that come up about this issue. First question is, does everyone get healed all the time? And the answer is no. Not everybody gets healed all the time. All I have to do is look at Jesus' ministry. In Matthew chapter 8, it clearly describes all being healed. But in Mark chapter 6, it talks about a few being healed. And you can take a look at the apostolic ministries. And in fact, let's just think about this guy we read about today. You realize it's only been 60 days, probably, two months, since Jesus was in that temple, cleansing the temple. Remember the whole thing? We overturned the money, the tables of the money changers and set all the animals, you know, the sacrificial animals free and all that. And the Bible says that there, on that occasion, about two months before what we're reading about today, the blind and the lame came to him and he healed them. Somehow, this guy who's been there every single day of his life for 40 years missed out on that healing. Peter and John have gone to the temple every single day passing by this guy. Why was it this day their attention was drawn to him? Why was it this day? That God ministered healing to him. I don't know the answer to that. We're going to talk about some of the reasons why people sometimes are not healed. But I don't have an ultimate answer for that. I just want you to to think about this with me. When we try to force uh, onto the the discussion of divine healing. the, The idea that everybody must be healed every time I pray. It causes most of us to want to opt out of the program. It's too much pressure. Um, Paul, uh, in in Galatians chapter 4, he describes what is uh, apparently a a physical infirmity that he has. Many people believe it was some sort of eye condition that he doesn't get healed from. In fact, Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.20 that he leaves a guy named uh, Trophimus. He left him sick. This is the Apostle Paul. Listen, healing is not on demand. But it is available. It has been purchased for us. God wants to heal. But if we try to push on it or force onto this subject something that it, it isn't designed to have, we will, um, we will end up making ourselves less available to uh, being used by God in this way, in my opinion. 
So the next question is, why doesn't everyone get healed? Well, here's a, I'm just going to rattle off a, a list of some things. It's not, not um, you know, complete in any way. But sometimes people are not healed when they are being prayed for or seek God for healing because of unbelief. The Bible is clear on that. In fact, the time when G, in, in Mark I referred to earlier, when in Jesus' ministry only a few got healed, he talked about their unbelief as the culprit. There is some partnership that people who are being healed have in the process of receiving that healing, and it has something to do with their faith. Now, I don't mean that we get to blame people or put uh, you know, undue blame on someone if they don't receive healing and say, well, it's your fault. You didn't believe enough. That's, that's so cruel, but I've seen it happen so many times. It's not the only reason, but it is one. Another reason is that there's a law of sowing and reaping. It's a spiritual law. It was built into the fabric of what God created. If, if I smoke like a chimney and some point along the way I get lung cancer, um, I have reaped what I've sown. Now, God has, can intervene in those kinds of situations, but there is this to contend with. There's also sin. These are all things that we read about in the Bible that... Uh, um, hinder God's ability to heal in certain circumstances. There's also God's timing. There are things that God is up to that healing is, uh, needs to be postponed while he completes uh, something else that he's up to in a person's life. Um, and, and that leads us to the next one, God's priorities. You know, God is much, 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 much more concerned about your eternal destiny than whether you get over your cold. He's concerned about your cold. I don't mean to trivialize that, but he is much, much more concerned about your eternal destiny. There are things way more important than physical healing. Another thing is God's sovereignty. And there's, this is, there's some things that are just, we just say, God, I don't know, I don't understand, but you are sovereign. You can do anything you want, any way you want, any time you want, and that's good enough for me. Another question that people ask sometimes is, are medicine and faith compatible? You know, well, if I believe in divine healing, then should I cancel my uh, Kaiser membership? Please don't do that. We have a lot of people in our church that work for Kaiser. Uh, it be counterproductive for our <laughs> church's income. Anyway, that's another story. Um, are medicine and faith compatible? Listen, medicine can be complementary to faith. Um, in fact, Jesus employed medicinal symbols in his ministry. Oil, saliva, and mud. Have you ever wondered? You read these, these uh, stories about Jesus healing people. There's one guy, he spits and makes mud and sticks it in the guy's eye, a blind man, and he's healed. You wonder what, what that's all about? I'll tell you what. Jesus was not afraid. He did not have to take credit for everything. And both saliva and mud were considered to be, to have healing properties by the vast majority of people in those days. And he did not care whether people attributed the healing of the blind man's eyes to the saliva and mud or to him. That was not the important thing. The important thing, because it wasn't about him. It wasn't about his reputation. 
was simply about his love for this guy that he gets healed. So when we encounter that stuff, it's on purpose. It's on purpose. And I think it also was designed to help us to know that, that, that medicine and faith, God is the one who, get, who makes available to us medical technologies and uh, knowledge. God is the one who's made that mercifully available to us. How many of you would say amen? Yeah. And then Paul. Paul even went into the business of prescribing medicine. He, prescri- he prescribed uh, wine as a medicine to Timothy. He said, you know, Timothy, you need to take this for your stomach. (laughs) Medicine, however, should not be a substitute for faith. In fact, I could take you to a passage where King Asa, or Asa, however you wanted to um, say it. The Bible says that he had a condition and he sought medical attention, or or attention from... um, Practitioners of medicine and did not pray. And he died. And, and it's clearly the, uh, a lesson for us there that we don't simply rely on medicine or, or substitute medicine for faith. What about death? I mean, sometimes people get into this loop where healing is the most important thing. You know, I, I, and, and, and at all costs... And there are people who take this even to the extreme, and I've run into them. They do exist where they believe that because God has purchased healing for us uh, in Jesus' um, substitutionary work. And the Bible is clear about that. I referred to it. Isaiah chapter 53 verses 4 and 5 says that by his stripes we were healed. And And Matthew, when Jesus was healing people, Matthew recorded, he said, Jesus was doing this to fulfill that scripture. So it's not just about spiritual healing. Jesus healing sick bodies was in fulfillment of what Isaiah prophesied when he said that the stripes the Savior would bear would be for our healing. But there are people who take that to an extreme where they don't even accept that people ought to die. You know, and it's it's a very twisted, perverted kind of a forced doctrine. But like anything, if you take it to extreme, it becomes perverse. So what about what about death? Um, well, all of us have an appointment with death. Hebrews chapter nine verse twenty-seven says that. But there's no need to die prematurely, and there's no shame in dying of sickness. In 2 Kings chapter 13, Elisha, who was known as the, uh, you know, miracle-working prophet. Um, this miracle-working prophet, uh, we're told, he died of a sickness. There's no shame in your body, which, which is uh, made of the dust, coming to the end of its ability to continue on. There's no shame in that. I had a guy, a, a guy who was part of our... Uh, the first church that we pastored, a great man who loved God, had a, uh, a Christian ministry, a Christian radio ministry that spanned the globe. And he, uh, he was dying of cancer. I think I may have told you this story before, so pardon me if I have. But I came to visit him. He was in, nearing the end of his life. I came to visit him. There was a line out the door of all these people waiting to see him, and I was waiting in line. As I got closer to his room, I could hear these well-meaning people you know, praying for him, praying for his healing. And, 
and saying things that, you know, those subtle were, were making him feel, I could tell, they must be making him feel like, you should not be dying. You believe in healing. Pray. Believe God. You can get up from this bed of affliction. And the weight and the burden of that, as though he was doing something wrong by dying, was, was terrible. And as I got to his room, I felt like the Lord said to me, you, uh, you, you take this with a grain of salt. You figure out what you want to do with this. But I really felt like the Lord told me, tell him it's okay for him to die. So, I've never done this before in my whole life. But I walked up to this guy and I said, dear brother, go in peace. Be with Jesus. It's okay for you to die. And he starts weeping. And he says, oh, Hallelujah. And I, and I just, I learned something from that. That sometimes in our efforts to, you know, press these truths beyond the boundaries that of, of uh, you know, that, that the Bible has set for them, we create a perversity. And, and, and that's what was happening with this guy. There's no shame in dying of sickness. But don't die prematurely. All right. Um... Another question, does God cause people to, to be sick? The Bible in James says that he gives, God gives good gifts to people. Now, there's somebody else who gives bad gifts to people. Jesus said that the devil is a thief, a murderer, and uh, he comes to destroy. That's not God. Now, Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good to those who, who love God. And so some people will, will use that passage to say, well, God made me sick so he could do something good, bring something good from it. But God does not cause, or God causes good to come from sickness, but not by design. He never makes a person sick so he can bring something good from that. I think I'll give you cancer, Mark, so I can teach you a lesson. Now, that's not God. But what happens is God can cause good to come from, uh, you know, adversity or from sickness or whatever. By his grace and the power of his grace, he draws. He can undo what the devil had in mind in corrupting your body. He can bring something good out of it by his power and grace. But it's not by design. Uh, another question uh, that flows out of all the stuff that we've been talking about is, okay, well, if all of this is true, then... Why should we pray for healing? If I can't know for sure that a person is going to be healed every time I pray for them, why bother? Here's why. Because God loves to heal people. God loves to heal people. Psalm 107 verse 20 says, He sent His word and healed them. And in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, he says, The Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. God loves to heal people. He also wants to, wants to continue Jesus' healing ministry through us. Jesus makes it clear. He, he intended for those who are his followers to continue his ministry of healing. And finally, we pray for the sick. We pray for people to be healed because we don't receive if we don't ask. That's what John chapter 16 verse 24 says. I have decided. I don't have all the answers about divine healing. 
There, I have seen wonderful miracles. I, pray, we were, I was involved in praying for a, a, a young girl who was diagnosed by two different physicians as having um, scoliosis, terrible scoliosis. So, you know, her, her spine was in an S shape, and, and both of them had diagnosed or, or had prescribed that she was going to need to have back surgery and her spine attached to a rod up her back as the only means for curing this, this issue. And we prayed for her. And then had confirmed by additional physicians that God had straightened her back and no longer was she in need of this corrective surgery. I have seen with my own eyes and touched with my own hands people whom God has miraculously healed. But I've also prayed for people where it appeared as though nothing happened. Now, I could pack up my, my little bag of tricks and go home and just opt out of the whole healing ministry. But I've chosen not to. Because Jesus loves to heal people. And just because I, in my little brain, can't get you know, all the reasons why and all that wrapped up uh, nice and tight and put a bow on it, I'm not going to opt out. I've decided that nobody who comes across my path is going to stay sick because I didn't pray for them. I want to ask you to join me with that in that. Because I believe that God wants to work miracles today. Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed... The place where they were assembled together was shaken. Let me read to you just a couple more verses. In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, it says this. It says, God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. And he had rays flashing from his hand. And there his power was hidden, it says. Lord, may we speak your word with boldness and stretch forth your hand to heal.